thing that's different though is coping with changes. Venturing into the unknown. There was an Arab chief who told the story of a spy who was captured and sentenced to death by a general in the Persian army. Now this general had a peculiar custom of giving the captured criminal or the captured enemy a, a choice between firing squad and the big black door. And so the, the, the day came for the spy to be executed and the general asked him, what will it be for you, firing squad or the big black door? And the spy thought for a long time until he went press and said, okay, I'll take the firing squad. And so after a few moments, shots were fired and he was executed. The general told his aide, they always prefer the known to the unknown. People fear what they do not know. The aide asked the general, sir, what's beyond the big black door? And the army said, freedom. And I've only known a few brave ones who chose to take that door. The fear of the unknown. We understand that, you know, we have a few children in our church who are, have problem with autism. And people who have autism, their problem is they, they function in pattern. If you break the pattern, it, it, it overwhelms them. They, they could not tackle it, cope with changes. But I don't think that only children or people with autism have the problem with changes. We too have a problem with changes. When something breaks the plan, when something breaks the pattern, we are rattled. And oftentimes it takes quite some time for us to cope and adjust our lifestyle. Therefore, we understand that it takes courage to venture into the unknown. It takes strength and boldness not only to accept the ch changes in life, but even to embrace them. Yes, sometimes choosing the big black door or the unknown doesn't end always right. The good thing is we have God. And he's sovereign. He knows we can make mistakes. He knows we can make wrong decisions. But if he tells us to take an adventure, then we must take it. When he tells us to leave our comfort zone, we could venture into the unknown because he promised to be with us. And we can embrace the changes he brings or allows in our lives because he's not only sovereign, but he is good. A man was asked by his pastor for a number of months if he could take a class of youth to teach them Bible. He always said no because he knows that he had to make some adjustments or changes in his schedule. But finally, maybe because he got tired of the pastor asking, asking him, hey, can you handle the youth group? He said yes. And so he worked hard at it, gave his best. After a few months only, he led six young men to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Sunday that he led a six youth to Christ, the pastor asked, was it worth it? And the man says, yeah, my only regret is I waited for a long time. We are weary of the unknown. That is why we understand that it takes courage to venture into unfamiliar or uncharted waters. Uh, it, it takes strength and boldness not only to accept the changes, but even to embrace them. 
You know, change happens in life. And sometimes we, we feel that when we accept the change, we are to get out of our comfort zones. But we know that in the Bible, the heroes of our faith went out of their comfort zones. And they trusted God to take care of them. Their lives did not become easy. They were not always shielded from dangers and risks. Uh, they had to make sacrifices. They had to make difficult decisions to do the right thing. But they were protected and guided by God. For example, Abram left his kindred and his native land to go to a land that he had never been before just because the Lord told him so. And he followed the Lord. Changes. The Lord just spoke to him, Abram, leave everything and follow me to the land where I'm bringing you. That's a tremendous amount of adjustment. We learn of Moses who reluctantly, who tried to escape the call of God, who reluctantly left the flocks of his father Jethro and agreed to be used by God to deliver his people out of Egypt into the promised land. We know of Nehemiah who left the comforts of the palace of King Artaxerxes because he was a wine taster and he led a dangerous mission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We know if you're reading the Bible of Queen Esther who risked her life to approach the king because there's a law that says you cannot approach the king unless the king is asking for you. And that's why she said, Okay, Mordecai, okay, you win. If I perish, I perish. The apostles left their jobs and their families to follow the Lord. And I think when Christ was crucified, I think they felt they made the wrong decision. Oh, why did I leave my job and my family, you know? And I followed Jesus. Jesus is a nice guy. But it seems he's not the Messiah that we're waiting for because he's dead. But we know that they made the right decision. We know they made their best decision of their lives. We know that Esther did not perish, but God, was, God used her to save the Jews from the evil plans of Haman. We know that Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in such a short period of time. We know that Moses was used by God to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. We know that Abraham became the father of many nations. So we go to Jacob. For the first time in his life, he was alone. He was away. We learned last week, God in his mercy appeared to Jacob in a dream and, and there was a ladder, remember, angels coming up and down. And on top of the ladder, the Lord said to Jacob, I'm the God of your fathers, Abram and Jacob uh, and Isaac. And don't worry. And then he repeated the promises he gave to Abram to Jacob. He, God appeared to Jacob, and, and we know that Jacob's life dramatically changed. God's appearing to Jacob did not shield him from the hardships he would experience in Padan Aram in the hands of Uncle Laban. Remember, working for 20 years, free? God did not prevent him from learning the difficult but necessary lessons in life. Jacob's life dramatically changed when he left his home to escape from his angry brother and to find a wife for himself. In many ways, it was his own doing. He deceived his brother. He lied against his father, you know. But the good thing about our God is he will not abandon you even if you make mistakes. He will not leave you. 
I've made a lot of mistakes. But so far, I'm still here in front of you. He will not abandon. He will discipline us. He will teach us important lessons. He will correct our bad attitudes. But he will be faithful to us. And we know that this truth is very clear and obvious in the life of a trickster named Jacob. Sometimes I say, Lord, if you are good to Jacob, I think I'm more behaved than Jacob. I just think maybe I'm wrong. Life is hard and what life does to us depends on a lot on what we are made of. In his journey to Padam Aram, Jacob brought his biggest problem, himself. Sometimes our biggest problem is not the people around us, it's ourselves. During the next 20 years, Jacob would experience many trials, hardships, and deceptions at the hands of his uncle and then later father-in-law Laban. But in the end, he would become the man of God who will accomplish the will of God. Now, the story of Jacob is not that different from our lives. As we look at his life, may we learn from his mistakes, and may we have the courage to trust God, to venture into the unknown when he calls us to venture to the unknown. Let's pray. Lord, as I remember what you taught in the Bible, there are times when you tell your people what you're going to do, but those are rare cases. Oftentimes, you just tell us to go there, and we just have to trust you. You, you don't tell us of the dangers, what would happen to us the next day after one month. You did not tell us of this problem, of this man, of this shortage. You did not tell us, but you tell us just to follow you and trust you with the changes that you will either allow or purpose and to the unknown circumstances that would happen in our lives. Even as we grow old, Lord, we, we go through changes from being receiving bound from our parents. We are now giving bound to our children. I know some of us here now have grandchildren, Lord. And I don't know, Lord, if, if my sons, Lord, one day will leave home. And I don't know what my emotions will be when they leave them and start their own family. And somehow I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid also, Lord God, when I get old and I begin to, my knees begin to become weak, Lord. Even now I feel some of those things. And, and I'm kind of afraid when I get old. But your word tells me and assures me that I can go through the changes in life because you will be there for me and you will uphold me. And when I am afraid, I could put my trust in you. Didn't David say, when I am afraid, I will put my trust in the Lord. So help us not only accept but even embrace the changes that you're bringing into our lives. And when you tell us to live to leave our comfort zones and venture to the unknown, as long as we are sure that you're the one telling us to do it, may we step our foot, our feet in faith and follow you. For you're not only sovereign, but you're also good God. In Christ's name we pray. In our story, let's talk about the three dramatic changes that happen in Jacob's life. First, from being a homebody he became a sojourner. 
Hindi po siya taong gala. He was a homebody, and yet he found himself in a place he has never been before. Some of you, before you came to Canada, you did not live home. You did not go to Baguio, you did not go to Mindanao, you went to Canada. That must be scary. Then from mama's boy, he became uncle servant. And then from being a deceiver, he was deceived. Let's tackle the first one first. From homebody to sojourner. Somebody said and prayed, Lord, help me to be right. For you know how hard it is to change. Sorry, you know. Are you going through some dramatic changes in your life? Be it your body, you know. Many times we cannot resist change. Change is part of life. They say the only things permanent in life are taxes and death. People change, seasons change, things change, our bodies change. But we have this consolation if we belong to the Lord. We have either the greatest protection or the greatest comfort with the difficult effects of changes in our lives. Jacob had been a homebody all his life. As far as the account of Genesis is concerned, Jacob was always home. How do we know that? Genesis 25, 27 says, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, taong gala, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Homebody. Perhaps that's the reason why his mom liked him. When he was a, can somebody do the dishes? Esau is out. Jacob was there. Maybe that's the reason why she was mama's favorite. But now for the first time in his life, he was far away from home. For the first time in his life, he was a total stranger in the land he had never been to. He went to a place that he had not seen before and is now mingling and interacting with people he met for the very first time. And that's scary, especially if you are an introvert. Verse 1 says, Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east and who were the first persons he met people who knew his uncle Laban and the woman who would become his wife now if you're remembering our messages what happened to Jacob in our text happened to his father remember Abram sent his servant to Padam Aram you know and then on the well, the servant said, Lord, give me success. And who was the first person he met on the well? Jacob's mother, Rebecca. And then everything happened. You see, it, maybe it was the same well. And when Jacob asked the shepherds, do you know my uncle, Laban, the son of Nahor? And the people, yeah, his well. There's his baby. There's his daughter. It's racial, you know. Who knew he would meet his cousin and his future wife? We see here God, the providence of God in the meeting of Jacob and Rachel. We see God arranging similar circumstances in the life of Isaac and his son Jacob. Now I'm sure, it doesn't say, but I'm sure Jacob knew how his mom 
and his dad met. Yes, your parents. How did you meet? He must have known about the servant of his grandfather who met his mother for the first time, and his mother went with the servant, and then his mother and his father met. That tells Jacob, the Lord is with me. He is arranging circumstances. He knew that the Lord was with him. Now, according to the text, the procedure was that uh, all flax and shepherds would be weighted. So shepherds, they bring the, their, their animals to the well. And they would wait for everyone to be there before they remove the stone. So that everyone could give water to their animals. However, may pagkapakailang meron si Jacob. When Rachel arrived in the well, as if he was a ta'al, he was an all-time resident in the area, he just removed the stone in order to water the sheep or the animals of Rachel. And our story tells us that the other shepherds seem not to mind, and we are not given the reason why. And so Jacob introduced himself to Rachel, and Rachel ran back to her father, reported, Dad! The son of your longtime sister was gone is here. And then we find Laban meeting Jacob and welcome him to his home. We see some positive changes in the life or attitude of Jacob. First, he was new in the place. Maybe that's the reason why he was nice and big. But those are still positive and wonderful changes. First, he greeted and paid respect to the people. Remember, he was a deceiver. That's why his name was Jacob. Second, he, he showed, he acted the gentleman by removing the stone for his cousin Rachel. Third, he showed affection when he kissed his cousin Rachel. It seems for the first time in his life, Jacob was starting to care for others other than himself. And third, in verse 13, says that Jacob told Laban all these things. At last, Jacob was starting to become honest. We don't know how much family history Jacob told his uncle, but he told, suddenly he's starting to tell the truth to his uncle. It seems that living home was not totally bad for Jacob. From a homebody, he became a sojourner, and the Lord was with him in his journey. I find two wonderful things about God. In this story first God goes with his people he goes with us didn't he promise second he arranges circumstances to help his people you know, he, he arranges sometimes it's not so obvious sometimes it's obvious Jesus promises disciples and us now I will always be with you until the end of the age Jesus is our good shepherd who leads us beside still waters and in the paths of righteousness and he is with us even through uncharted territories his rod and staff comfort us that we do not need to fear even though we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of the unknown second thing we learn change is from mama's boy to uncle's servant Sino dito mga mama's boy? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Do you think Jacob was spoiled? Yeah, we're not sure the Bible, but I'm sure he was mama's boy. I think it's safe to say Jacob was mama's boy. In our story, 
we see the second change in Jacob's life. From being mama's boy, he became Tito's servant. Verse 2 says that the stone that blocked the well was large. He removed it by himself. And so maybe the story reached Laban's ears. You know your, your, your nephew? He's strong. He moved the stone that blocked the well all by himself. And Laban, because he's a businessman, he's crass, you know, he says, I can make use of my nephew's strength. You know, he decided he could use Jacob in his business. And in verse 15, he says, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be. It's a polite and subtle way of saying, Jacob, you cannot just stay here and do nothing. You got to work. That's a subtle way. Because you're my relatives. It's not fair that you should work for free. It's like saying, you must work. You can just eat here one month or doing nothing. Work. What are your wages? And I think that is fair. Another positive development in Jacob's attitude is he became a servant. We don't know if he enjoyed it, but he did it for seven years. And we learn that he will serve his uncle for a total of 21 years, and Jacob would work very hard. There will be no annual vacation to the Philippines. I don't know if there will be sick leaves. His wages would only be food, lodging, and the girls. <laughs> of course, Brother Ray is smiling. Girls is enough. <laughs> uh, from being mama's boy, Jacob became uncle servant and this seems to be the will of the Lord God wanted Jacob to learn the importance of working hard God seems to decide has decided or determined that Jacob had to learn the value of servanthood the godly men and women of the Bible were hard workers even in the garden of Eden Adam was working. Noah worked hard. He was building the ark. He was raising a family and he's preaching God's word. He was trivocational, not just bivocational. Ruth worked hard gleaning in the field of Boaz, remember? She worked gleaning na mamulot, na mga mumu mga pala, you know, from morning to the afternoon. Nehemiah and the Jews worked very hard to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Even what struck me in the story of Nehemiah is they were working with one hand and they were holding a weapon in the other hand. That was hard work. Paul worked hard in spreading the gospel. Even the Lord Jesus worked hard. He said in John 4:34, My food is to do the will of sent who sent me and to accomplish his work. Even our Father in heaven is a hard worker. Jesus says in John 5:17. My father is working until now, and I am also working. I know I'm speaking to the wrong people because I know you guys work hard. So praise the Lord for you. And so when you feel Monday, oh, I'm going to work again. Praise the Lord you're working again. Yeah? One of us says it's hard not to do anything. Try to lose a job. That is hard. You don't have a day off. You know? So praise the Lord. God wants us to learn the value of hard work. Not only that, He wants us to learn the important lesson of servanthood. The heroes of our faith from the Old Testament to the New Testament 
were servants. Moses served his father-in-law. I think uso sa Bible yung pagsisilbihan mo yung bienan mo. Moses served his father-in-law, Jethro. Right? He was a shepherd of his father-in-law's flock. Uh, Nehemiah served King Artaxerxes. Uh, Daniel and his three friends served King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, David served his father and then King Saul. Uh, the kingdom of God is full of servants. Samuel served Eli. The kingdom of God is full of servants. God's people are servants. The church is a family of servants. Yes, we are doing our best to raise and develop leaders in the church, but we are first and foremost followers and servants. In fact, in God's kingdom, you cannot be a good leader if you're not a good follower. We are first and foremost servants because our leader and our king was a servant. Didn't he say, whoever wants to be great among you must be the servant of all. Kung sino sa inyong gustong umepal, pagtrabahuan, pagsilbihan, ang lahat. No, that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to be great, be a servant of all. And whoever among you wants to be first should be the slave of all. And then Jesus says, because even the Son of Man, He did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. That's why it's hard to understand why Christians do not serve Christ. When their King and their leader and their Savior is a servant. From being mama's boy, Jacob become uncle servant. We may not be mama's boys, but when we'll become servants of Christ. You cannot just sit there. You cannot do anything. You cannot just do nothing. For all that we have seen, heard, and experienced from God, we must do something for the Lord. Let the church be church, that Christians be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. From being mama's boy, he became uncle's servant. And that was the will of God. Third, from being a deceiver, David, Jacob had a dose of his own medicine. So remember last week, in a dream, God promised Jacob to protect him, to be with him, and to bring him back to the land. And we see the Lord guiding Jacob's steps. And the first persons he meet were knew his uncle and then his, his cousin, Rachel. But the Lord had to do something with David's scheming and deceiving. Oh, Jacob. The Lord had to teach him the important lesson about sowing and reaping. We do not know when we'll eventually reap what we sow, but the law of the harvest, the law of life, the law of the Bible is you reap what you saw. Proverbs 22 verse 8 says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. And in Galatians 6, uh, 7, Paul says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Mock. How do you pronounce it, Ed? Mocked. God cannot be mocked for who, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. So if you plant banana, you will reap banana cue. If you plant orange, you will reap orange. That is the law, right? And so we find Jacob having a dose of his own medicine, having a taste of his own doing, 
when Laban asked Jacob, Pamangkin, nephew, what do you want in return for serving me? Jacob said, you know, uncle, I like your daughter. Her eyes speak to me. Yeah, I like your daughter. Give her to me and I'll work for you seven years. You know, after all, finding a wife was the main reason or one of the main reasons why Jacob left home. Remember, Isaac said, okay, go to your uncle and find a wife. So Jacob served Laban or Laban for seven years. And we read that seven years seems to be a short time. When you're in love, everything becomes short. Maybe he enjoyed. He, he would always see Rachel in Krasku. You know, and, and, but what Jacob did not realize was his uncle was a master deceiver. His master was a trickster. Notice what Laban says. He, when Jacob said, uncle, I'll work for you seven years, give me Rachel. Laban did not say yes. He says, it's better to give you my daughters than to give somebody else. One scholar noted that Laban made no promise that he would give Rachel at the end of the seven years. He just promised he would give his daughters. And so after seven years of working hard, Jacob was saying, I'm ready to get married. Uncle, give me my cousin Rachel. And so Laban or Laban arranged a wedding. But during the wedding, during those days, Women are veiled. And Laban switch. And I think Leah was an accomplice here. And it says we had weak eyes. It could mean maybe Leah had cross-eyed or, or like this, you know, mapungayang. We don't know. And Rachel was, wow, baboomy. She was beautiful. She was attractive. But then Laban, he made a switch during wedding day. And in the morning after the honeymoon, it's like the 51st dates. You know, when, when Jacob woke up, ah, you, who are you? I married Rachel. You know, look at the changes in Jacob's life. From being the deceiver, he was deceived. Uh, as Jacob took advantage of his father's blindness, his uncle took advantage of the darkness of the night dwelt with Jacob. The man who deceived his father was deceived by his father-in-law. Jacob posed as the firstborn, remember, I'm Esau's father, and so he received Laban's firstborn daughter. You reap what you saw. What should have been the happiest week of Jacob's life became one of the saddest week of his life. In the Middle East, even after now, when people get married, celebration goes on for several days, even for a week. And everyone can enter and join the celebration. And during the wedding, the groom and bride were treated like king and queen. But Jacob must have felt that he was a clown. He was duped. He was duped. He worked hard for seven years and he would live his life with a woman he did not love and I think he even did not like. That is the thing. And when he protested to Laban, Uncle, this is not fair. I asked for Rachel. Laban used the custom trick. It's not our custom in this country 
that the older or younger daughter will get married before the older daughter. Parang Pilipina, di ba? And so Jacob had to make a choice. He could escape his responsibility as a husband now and go back to his home. But he has not yet received word from his mother. Remember? Rebecca said to Jacob, I will send word if your brother is not angry at you anymore. He did not receive word. So he had to choose either with living with a woman he doesn't love or death. And he chose living with a woman and also because he really wanted Rachel. And so he worked for another seven years. At last, he get the woman of his dreams. But don't forget the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. Laban must have congratulated himself for the success of his scheme. I outwitted my nephew. However, he was not in control. God was in control. Laban meant bad for Jacob. But God used it for good. The Lord is in control even when we, his people, are sinning and paying for the wages of our sin. That's comfortable to me. When I make mistakes and I sin, and sometimes God allows me to suffer the consequences of my sin, he is still in control. He is still in control. God is in control even when we venture into the unknown and face unfamiliar circumstances and drastic changes in our lives and he can use them for our good and for his glory even when some of those changes are caused by our sin and wrong decisions and it is a comfort to know that remember that popular verse in Romans 8:28, and God causes all things even the bad things you made God can cause all things to work for the good of those who love. I'm not saying do bad things. I'm not saying that. That's not what the Bible says. We are commanded. Just like to be clear, Pastor Bang did not give you permission to do bad things. We are to do good things. We are not to sin, do our best not to sin. But I'm saying is, our God is sovereign. And when he allows us to suffer the consequences of the things he tells us not to do, he has the power to turn it around, to do his will, bring glory to his name, and bless his people. We will make mistakes. We will commit sin. We will fail and make wrong choices. At times, God will allow us to learn painful but important lessons from the wrong choices we make. But he will never leave us nor forsake us. Somebody said, for the Christian, it's always good in the end. If it is not good. It's not yet the end. Let's pray. I'm still confused, Lord, how you manage your sovereignty and our responsibility and our choices. But it's okay, you're in control. That's what's most important. That you have the power to use even the stupid things that we do. To give glory to your name in the end and bring blessings to us. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, uh, for the example of the life of Jacob. No one wanted to run away from home. No one wants to become a servant from being comfortable. But you allowed it or purposed it 
to teach Jacob some lessons and become the man that you will use to accomplish your will. And even when Jacob was having a taste of his own medicine, you also have purposes for that. And would you would use what Jacob would learn through that painful and difficult experiences. Lord, we love to stay in our comfort zones. We love what's secure and feels, feels, feels controlled. Sometimes many of us are control freaks. But every now and then, you tell us to come out of our comfort zone and venture to the unknown and trust you. When there is some pending or impending changes in our lives, may we run to you and ask you, Lord, are you allowing is this your will, this change? And when we hear from you and get from you that it is, then help us to step out in faith and journey from our Haran into the promised land, like what happened to the heroes of our faith. It's scary, I know, Lord, it's scary. I, I am a, I'm scared, Lord, when I answered your call. I'm scared when we started this church. It's scary. It's, it's scary when we start our ministry, when we reach out to people. It's scary. We don't know how people would respond. But give us the courage to do it anyway, knowing that you are sovereign and in your control. That you control circumstances and you control us. And you promise that you can cause all things to work for the good of those who love you. Thank you for the life of Jacob. I pray for those who are undergoing changes in life right now, maybe brought about by sickness or some unpleasant thing. I pray that you would be with them and comfort them and tell them that you have their backs. It might be uncomfortable or, or difficult in the beginning, but you will give them grace. And you ever you allow changes and unforeseen events to happen in our lives. One said, we don't know what the future is, but we know who holds the future. And so we thank you and trust you. In Christ's name we pray.